It's our privilege to gather together as God's people and hear God's word. That's why we come to be fed. So this morning, would you open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark? We are going to be in chapter 8 this morning. I'm going to read verse 1 through verse 21. If you didn't bring your Bible with today, I would encourage you to grab one as we work through the Gospel of Mark, and you can find chapter 8 on page 843 in your your Bible before you. So let's give attention to God's word now. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 1. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. He called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd, and they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanthua. And the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they only had one loaf with them in the boat. And he cautioned them, saying, Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus was aware of this and said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Twelve. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, Seven. And he said to them, Do you not yet understand? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are a people thankful for the gospel. We are a people thankful for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died and who was raised, who ascended and who is seated. And we are thankful for your Son who still works for his people. And Father, we ask this morning, we need the ministry of Jesus this morning. 
Oh, Father, we need the words of Christ afresh upon our souls. We need his mercy and his compassion and his love and his kindness. We need to experience freshly today. And so we ask, we come asking, we come seeking, we come knocking. Oh, would you minister among us? We ask you, Lord Jesus, would you come near this morning by the power of your Spirit and preach powerfully to our hearts? Would you call forth the dead from the graves this morning? Would you give spiritual life? We ask that you would give us strength and courage. We ask that you give us discernment and understanding. We ask that you would give us spiritual insight that we might look into the word and see the the goodness of the gospel there and that we might open our mouths and find your bread. So we need your ministry, Lord Jesus. We ask these things. We, We pray these things in your name. Amen. Reading scripture is the greatest privilege of the Christian life. We get to open up God's word and study it. God speaks to us. Reading scripture is also a a deep work, meaning that reading scripture, this great privilege we've been given as Christians, takes time. It takes concentration. It takes commitment. It takes insight. And if we merely pick up the scriptures like a cheap novel and let them slip through our fingers like water, we will miss out on the many treasures that are revealed to us in the scriptures. Rather, reading scripture is like mining for precious metals. Those who gain treasure from the scriptures are those who break out the shovel and the pickaxe. That which is precious is reserved for those who persevere in the work of digging, beating on the earth until it yields its precious jewels. And so we're called to a deep work when we read scripture. And when reading scripture, we're called to be like the man of of Psalm 1. And the psalmist gives us a a provocative illustration of what the man or woman of God looks like. The psalmist says, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he, he meditates day and night. And what the psalmist is saying is that the man or woman of God is, is given over to the scriptures, searching them out day and night. And even more, our lips on our lips are to be found prayers. Psalm 119 guides us in how we are to pursue the scriptures. The psalmist leads us in prayer saying, Give me understanding that I may keep your law. Incline my heart to your testimonies. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. And so we go to God's word day and night in our appointed shovel and pickaxe reminding God's word is prayer. We pray with the psalmist, open my eyes, teach me, incline my heart, and we persevere in this work of prayer until the word yields its precious treasures, beating on it until it gives forth its fruit. And as we enter again into the gospel of Mark this morning, we realize the nature of this deep work we are called to. The book of Mark calls for time and concentration, commitment and insight. 
And the Lord Jesus, in the book of Mark, calls us to this deep work. He's calling for our time, our concentration, our attention. He says to us, listen. Jesus speaks to us. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. He speaks to us, pay attention to what you hear. He encourages us, saying, those that were sown on the good soil are those ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. Listen. And Jesus' call to us this morning from the Gospel of Mark, this call to, to deep work should cause us to pause. What is it that we must hear? What is it that we must accept? What is it that must bear fruit in our lives? What is it that we have to give time and concentration and energy and insight to? Mark's story has one preeminent aim. And Mark wants us to know this. He wants us to know who this Jesus of Nazareth is. And he labors to this end faithfully. Every healing, every mighty deed, every saying, every parable, every teaching moves us a step closer to this insight of who is this Jesus. Every Old Testament quotation, allusion, and and whisper takes us one step closer to this conclusion. Mark works that we might confess this about this Jesus of Nazareth. This man, he is the Christ. He is the beloved son of God. And as we commit our time and our concentration to learning Jesus, this deep work, we find within Mark's pages a group of men who have walked the same path that we are walking now. In fact, these these 12 men we need in the Gospel of Mark illustrate our our calling of learning Jesus. These 12 men reveal to us the dangers, the, the hindrances, the temptations, and the delights of this learning relationship, this deep work. These men reveal to us the costly commitment that it takes to learn Jesus. When these men obeyed Jesus' command, follow me, I will make you fishers of men. They left their homes, they left their families, they left their wives and their jobs and their, their children. They understood the cost as they left behind the pleasures of family. And they traveled with Jesus on his itinerant ministry throughout Galilee. And when they participated in Jesus' ministry, following him about preaching the same gospel that he preached, they also received the same anger and the same condemnation that Jesus received from the scribes and the Pharisees. They they knew the shame of Jesus' ministry. But these men also give us a taste of the delight that there is in discipleship. These men had the, the privilege of being with Jesus. While Jesus often ministered to the crowds and he met the crowd's needs, these men were with Jesus, traveling with him. And time and time again, they received the special attention and care of Jesus that no one else in the Gospel of Mark receives. These men even had the the great privilege to announce the kingdom of God with their lips and to participate in the ministry of the kingdom, casting out demons and healing the sick with their own hands. But we have to be clear this morning, this path of discipleship that we see revealed, illustrated in the lives of the disciples is a hard path. Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 7, verse 14 come to mind. Jesus says this about discipleship. He says, The gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus says, The way is hard. 
And we see this hard way in the Gospel of Mark. These 12 men are in a wrestling match as they struggle to learn Jesus. Temptations come from within as they battle against their own rocky and jagged and hard hearts, trying to come to the truth of who this Jesus is. And and temptations come from without as well. They interact with the skeptical and unbelieving world around them. And we can see this wrestling match in the lives of the disciples as we plod through Mark's story. And the disciples begin wrestling with with Jesus, the truth of Jesus, after Jesus' sovereignty is revealed in the storm. Remember Mark chapter 4, Jesus speaks to the storm, peace, be still. And so the disciples, after this sovereignty event, they speak to one another and they say this, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And in the midst of the disciples' amazement and fear, Jesus puts his finger on their hearts and he reveals what's going on inside of them. He says to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? We see the the wrestle here. And the struggle intensifies, this wrestling match intensifies when they're again on the sea. This time Jesus walks on the sea. The God of the Exodus is present, redeeming a people. And Mark in this scene lets us peer into the disciples' hearts in chapter 6, verses 51 and 52. What's going on inside of them? And Mark tells us, And they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And we sense a pattern here within the Gospel of Mark. The more Jesus does, he reveals his sovereignty over the sea twice. He multiplies fish and loaves twice. He heals the sick and casts out demons. The more the tension and the struggle builds. The truth about Jesus is getting plainer and plainer, but the disciples remain unmoved by these revelations of identity. And we begin to question, when will these men ever understand the Lord Jesus Christ? When will these men break through their hard and stony hearts and understand this this Jesus? When will they evidence forth the faith that Jesus demands and desires to see in his men? And this tension spills over in our text this morning. In Mark chapter 8, the climactic point of decision arrives for these disciples. And we find Jesus pressing into these men, pressing into this wrestling match in verses 17 through 21. Jesus says, Do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Having eyes do you not see, and having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? Do you not yet understand? The Lord Jesus Christ in his mercy and kindness and his concern for his disciples is dealing plainly with his men. And we can sense the urgency. There is a strain in Jesus' voice at this point in the Gospel of Mark. Will these men finally overcome the temptations and hindrances from outside and from within? Will they finally hear the word of God and accept it and bear fruit? Will they finally find life within the kingdom of God? In our text this morning, these 21 verses serves to highlight this climactic point of decision within the story of discipleship. And Mark portrays this decision of discipleship in an interesting way. It comes in the form of bread. 
And so as we look at our text this morning, these 21 verses, we see great diversity throughout this text. There are three different scenes we see in this text. Jesus is in the wilderness, then he's on a boat, and then he's with the Pharisees. And there are three different groups of people in this text. There's the crowd that Jesus feeds. There's the Pharisees that Jesus argues with. And then there are the disciples that Jesus speaks with. But there's one common factor uniting all of these differences, and that common factor is bread. The word bread appears eight times in these 21 verses. In the face of the hungry crowd, the disciples cry out this. They say, how can one feed these people with bread here in a desolate place? And then Jesus takes seven loaves of bread and then he multiplies them for the people. Then the disciples forget to bring bread for their boat ride across the sea. And and Jesus cautions his disciples in this boat ride saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And the disciples are confused by what Jesus is talking about because they have no bread in the boat and they discuss the fact that they have no bread in the boat. And Jesus looks at his men and he sees their confusion and bewilderment and he rebukes them for their misunderstanding about bread and he says, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? And then Jesus asks his disciples to to clarify his point. He says, And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves of bread for the 5,000? How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And he again asks, And the seven loaves of bread for the 4,000, how many baskets of broken pieces did you take up? There's lots of diversity in this text, but there's one unifying factor. Bread, bread, bread. And what Mark is doing is he's, he's putting together these stories and he's shaping the issue of discipleship around the issue of bread. And the whole matter of discipleship, the whole decision of discipleship is boiled down to this question. What kind of bread shall we eat? And the fate of the disciples comes down to this very issue. What kind of bread will these men eat? And this seems like a very strange way to think about discipleship. What does following Jesus, what does knowing Jesus, what does trusting Jesus, what does learning Jesus have to do with eating bread? But there's a logic to what Mark is doing here in these stories. What kind of bread shall we eat? Bread has a symbolic meaning to the story of discipleship. And Mark picks bread as the symbol for good reason. Bread was and is still a basic staple of the human diet. We can think about the story of the scriptures. When Israel was in the wilderness after the exodus, there was no food around them and they were hungry and they they cried out to God. And what did God do? Well, he fed them with bread from heaven. And when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, what did he teach them to say in this prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. Bread is what nourishes and supports the body. It's what would give us strength and energy for the work that needs to be done. And the point is simple and profound for the disciples. With what will they support their spiritual lives with? What information, what knowledge, what understanding will contribute to their confession of who this Jesus of Nazareth is? What will the disciples consume in their discipling relationship? What will they feed their souls on? 
And as we look into our text this morning, there is a decision to be made. There is a choice before these men. There are two different kinds of bread offered. A bread that brings life and a bread that only brings death. What we're going to do this morning in these 21 verses is take a long and hard look at these two different kinds of bread that is being offered to the disciples, that is being offered to us this morning. And so we can start this morning by looking at the bread of death. We'll start negative and then we'll go positive. So in verse 15, Jesus sternly cautions his disciples and he says this, Watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What does this mean? Well, the disciples can't understand what Jesus is talking about. And the disciples have routinely misunderstood Jesus throughout the Gospel of Mark, and they they misunderstand Jesus yet again. When they hear leaven, they think of literal bread, and then they look at the supply of bread in the boat and realize that they don't have enough bread for their journey. And then they start feeling something in their stomach when you realize you don't have enough food for your journey. I'm a bit hungry now. If we could only pry into the disciples' discussion on, on the boat, it probably went something like this after they heard Jesus' warning. Is Jesus calling us to, to boycott the bread stands of the Pharisees? Is, is Jesus calling us to abstain from the bread that is sold in Herod's cities? Obviously, the disciples misunderstand Jesus. Jesus is not interested in their current supply of bread in the boat, nor is he attempting to start a baking boycott within Israel. So what does Jesus mean when he, when he warns his disciples, saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod? Now, on the surface, this seems like a very strange warning to give. On the surface, the Pharisees and Herod seem to have nothing in common. Remember the Pharisees. Who were these, these, these people? Well, the Pharisees were, were concerned about the law of God and the life of holiness in the land of Israel. They loved the tradition of the elders, and they were not afraid to, to press the tradition of the elders upon the people. They were keen on the issue of cleanliness according to God's law. And we've seen the Pharisees and their concerns revealed in the Gospel of Mark again and again. There's always controversy about these issues. But then there's Herod. And Herod was not a great lover of God's law, nor was he concerned about the nature of holiness. We can remember Herod, he unlawfully took his brother's wife, breaking the law of God. John the Baptist rebuked him for this. Even more, Herod was in league with the unclean Romans, consorting with those who should not be consorted with. So there's all these differences between the Pharisees, these religious men, and Herod, this all-religious king. But there's one common denominator between these, these two divergent groups, and it's this. They spoke what is false about Jesus. So in Mark chapter 6, verses 14 through 16, we, we hear the false confession of Herod. And Mark tells us this. He says, King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah, and others said, he is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, he confessed, 
John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Why is Herod principally so dangerous to the disciples? Why is Jesus saying, watch out, beware of this man? Well, in the eyes of Jesus, Herod is not dangerous because of his political power or his ruthlessness in beheading John. Herod is not dangerous because of his flirtation with the powers of Rome or the Gentile world. Herod is not dangerous because of his licentious living or his flagrant law-breaking of God. But at root, what makes Herod so deadly is that he speaks wrongly about Jesus. John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. Jesus is not simply a prophet or a a rejuvenated John, but he is the Christ, he is the Son of God, and Herod gets it completely wrong. We see this same factor at work within the Pharisees. Throughout the Gospel of Mark, the Pharisees and their counterpart, the, the scribes, are unsatisfied with Jesus. When Jesus forgives the, the sins of the paralytic, they question in their hearts. They say, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? They're unsatisfied with Jesus. When Jesus welcomes and dines with sinners, dining with them, reclining at table with them, they question, why does Jesus dine with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus healed on the Sabbath and he he brought restoration to the man with the withered hand, they begin to plan Jesus' death, plotting how they might destroy him. And all the more they slander Jesus' name and they confess this about Jesus. He is possessed by Beelzebul. He has an unclean spirit. And the Pharisees' dissatisfaction with Jesus again boils over in our text. After Jesus crosses the sea, after feeding the 4,000 people, he is confronted again by these men. And Mark records their discussion in verse 11. Mark says, The Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus seeking from Jesus a sign from heaven to test him. What are the Pharisees doing here? We have to understand that the Pharisees' request for a sign was not done in good faith. These men were not anxious seekers looking for one last fact to ease their consciences as they're going to give faith to Jesus. These men were not grappling with the truth about Jesus earnestly. They were not on the verge of faith. Rather, these men, in asking for a sign from heaven, plainly declare their distaste, their hatred for Jesus' ministry. And if we could look into the hearts of the Pharisees, like like Mark has let let us do throughout his gospel, we would find a train of thought working like this within the minds of the Pharisees. They were saying, Jesus, what you have done so far is not enough your healings, your casting out demons and unclean spirits, your authoritative teaching are not enough for us. Your ministry, your preaching, your power are all lacking in our eyes. And even more, Jesus, even more fundamentally, you are insufficient in our eyes. We have looked at all that you have done. We have looked at all that you have said. And we come to this great conclusion. You are not the Christ. You are not the Son of God. And only a sign from heaven could prove otherwise. So why does Jesus warn his disciples about the Pharisees? Why are the Pharisees so dangerous to the disciples? On the eyes of Jesus, these men are dangerous not because of their religious prudishness, 
They're not dangerous because of their attachment to the tradition of the elders or their misguided interpretations of the law. They're not principally dangerous because of their love for money or applause. But at root, what makes these men so dangerous is that they speak wrongly about Jesus. He is possessed by Beelzebul. He has an unclean spirit. According to the Pharisees, Jesus is a false prophet leading astray the entire people of God. And so Jesus comes to his men and he warns them. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And it's here after hearing the false confession of the Pharisees and Herod that Jesus' warning begins to make sense to us. Jesus understands that there are false reports about who he is and what he is up to floating around in Galilee and all of Israel. And in light of all of these false confessions, Jesus desires that his disciples would not feed upon these false reports, that they would not taste the preaching of the Pharisees, that they would not consume the opinions of Herod. We begin to see why Jesus cautions and warns so sternly, why he takes this issue so seriously. We can bring this home to ourselves. If, if we eat food that is healthy and dense and wholesome, what will happen to our bodies? Well, our bodies respond positively. We, we find strength when we eat healthy food. Our bodies recover. But what happens if we eat junk food that's full of sugar and it's, it's processed? What happens to our bodies when we do that? Our, our bodies don't respond that well. We don't grow strong. We only decay. We, we weaken. Even worse, what will happen if we eat food that's laced with poison? Well, we die. The answer is simple. And we can apply this logic to discipleship. If the disciples feed upon the false confessions of the Pharisees, or if they consume the opinions of Herod, if they eat any of this deadly bread laced with poison, their lives are not just going to be hampered or disfigured or grow weak, but they will die. And Jesus looks at his 12 men and he sees their lives hanging in the balance. If you consume the false confessions of my identity, if you partake of the bread of the Pharisee, Pharisees or Herod, you will not share in the blessed reign of the kingdom of God. You will not share in the forgiveness of sins. You will not taste the pleasures of the new covenant. You will not know the powerful spirit that will come. And so we can take Jesus' warning and we can begin to apply it to our own lives. We can feed on Jesus' logic. In essence, what Jesus is saying, in discipleship, you are what you eat. We can just let Jesus' words settle in on us. Speaking wrongly about Jesus, coming to the wrong conclusions about Jesus' identity, holding to false ideas about the work and character of Jesus, leads away from life, and it brings us to death. And so what does this mean for us as God's people? Well, as disciples of Jesus, we are a people that ought to be very zealous about our spiritual intake. We are what we eat. And what we eat is not a neutral matter. What kind of bread am I eating? Is it wholesome? Is it life-giving? Is it strengthening my body? Is it giving life to me? Or is it weakening my body? Is it, is it killing my body? And we can press this, this logic into all areas of our life. You are what you eat. Do the books that I read give an accurate understanding of who Christ is? Do the books that we read handle the word of God with skill and accuracy, strengthening our grip upon Christ? 
through the podcasts that we listen to in the car when we're driving to and from work? Strengthen my confession in the person and work of Christ. Do the shows that I watch on TV with my family that take up so much of our our downtime fill my mind and heart with gratitude and in love for this Jesus? Or are they slowly deadening, numbing my souls to the riches that are in Christ? Are the friends that I let speak into my life and have sway in my decisions feeding my soul with healthy and good bread, or are they they're pulling me away from the bread of life and feeding me the bread of, of death? And Jesus wants us to reckon with this fact. It is impossible to be a healthy, maturing, growing disciple of Jesus and at the same time be stuffing your mouth full of unhealthy and deadly bread. You are what you eat. These two realities cannot exist together. You will become the bread that you eat. If the disciples eat the bread of the Pharisees and the bread of Herod, they will become like the Pharisees and become like Herod. The same is true of us. If we eat deadly bread, we will become just like it. And Jesus' warning still rings true today. And Jesus' voice is still filled with urgency. And he speaks to us this morning. He says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Watch out. So we can ask our basic question of discipleship, the issue of decision in discipleship. What kind of bread shall we eat? And the Pharisees and Herod are not the only ones offering bread in our text this morning, but there is another offer of bread. Now, by this time in the story, the disciples should really understand the logic of Jesus. By this time, they should really understand the the true source of bread that is being offered, for they have been with Jesus during two separate miraculous feeding accounts. We just need to let these accounts settle in on us. These 12 men were there in Mark chapter 6. They saw the hungry crowd before them, and they saw that there was no way for them to provide food for this vast crowd. They could not go out in the field and gather it. There was no time. They could not go into town and buy it. They did not have enough money. In fact, these men came to Jesus in Mark chapter 6, and they said to Jesus, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and, and villages and buy themselves something to eat. And these 12 men were there when 5,000 men were fed from five loaves of bread. And they were there when 5,000 men were were satisfied to the brim. They They were fully sated. Even more, they were there in Mark chapter 8. They again saw the hungry crowd before them. They saw the meager supplies before them. They again realized the impossibility of feeding this, this vast crowd in the wilderness. They again, with their own mouths, spoke to Jesus, saying, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? It's impossible, Jesus. And then these men, with their own hands, distributed seven broken loaves of bread to 4,000 people. And they themselves ate of Jesus' multiplication and were satisfied, and they saw 4,000 people sitting there, fully fed, fully satisfied. And Jesus drives the nail home of this logic in verses eight, in chapter 8, verses 19 through 21. And he brings these, these two feeding stories to bear upon his disciples and what they should get out of these accounts. He says to them, When I broke the five loaves of bread for the 5,000, 
How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? Do you not understand? And it's essential that we penetrate the logic of what Jesus is driving at here. The disciples are yet dull. They cannot pierce the symbolism of Jesus' speech. They're not reasoning with faith. Rather, they're reasoning with their bellies. The disciples take counsel together. We don't have any bread with us in the boat. But we have to say again, at a very basic level, Jesus doesn't care about his disciples' stomachs. He's not concerned about where they go grocery shopping or from what bread stand they buy their bread. Jesus' concern is all the more basic, and it's all the more important. Jesus' focus is on the issue of discipleship. And Jesus is driving at some very specific questions with his men. He's asking them, what is feeding your spiritual life? He's asking them, what is giving substance to your confession? What is your faith built on? Are you living off of my sayings and and my teachings, my parables? Are you living off of what I am revealing to you? Are you feasting upon me? Is my gospel the basic building block of your life? What we see in this text is beautiful and glorious. The twin feeding accounts when Jesus fed the 5,000 men and when he fed the 4,000 people reveal the truth of the gospel. Jesus himself is the sufficient portion for these 12 men. This is what it means for Jesus to be the Christ, the Son of God. He can satisfy them to the brim. And the bread that these men cannot be bought in the city or the town, the bread that these men need is in the boat with them. And this is what Jesus desires for his disciples to see in all of his ministry. It is in Jesus' ministry that the hungry are fed. It is in Jesus' ministry that the deaf can hear and the mute can speak. It is in Jesus' ministry that the unclean are made whole. It is in Jesus' ministry that the dead are raised and sinners are forgiven and welcomed home into the kingdom of God. It is in his ministry that the gospel is purely proclaimed. And all of these deeds, all of these events reveal this. Jesus is the sufficient portion. He is the bread that these men need. They do not need to look anywhere else. The bread is in the boat. So what are we to do with Jesus's logic this morning? What does Jesus's logic mean for us? Well, it means this. Jesus preaches an exclusive eating. And we can reason with ourselves. A disciple's strength, a disciple's maturity, a disciple's stature is directly dependent upon his or her consuming of Christ Jesus. The one who eats much of the bread of life will be one that is healthy and strong. Discipleship can only be sustained by living fellowship with the living Savior. The one who eats much of Christ will resemble much of Christ. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is preaching to us. He's telling us there's only one diet that leads to maturity and growth in the Christian life. There are no supplements. There are no shortcuts. There are no other ways to get growth and maturity in the Christian life. You need to eat the bread of life. And the bread that these men need, and the bread that we need, is in the boat with them, saying to them, do you not understand? 
and believers, as we look at the rest of the New Testament, the apostles, the prophets, all get this great point of the Christian life. We need to feed on the Lord Jesus Christ. You look in any other New Testament writing, and they're bringing us to the same conclusion. You need the bread in the boat. Jesus speaks even more clearly in the Gospel of John. Without a veil, he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of the bread, he will live forever. Jesus says, I am the source of your life. The Apostle Paul speaks in a similar way in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 2. He gets the point. The bread is in the boat. He says, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The author of Hebrews writes to his people who are, who are dull and hard of hearing. And what does he say to his people again and again and again? Well, he says this, consider Jesus. Or he's saying, the bread is in the boat, feast upon him. Do you not yet understand? So dear friends, the decision of discipleship is before us. What kind of bread will you eat And Jesus preaches to us this morning, and his warning applies directly to each one of this. He says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of the scribes. There is a deadly bread being offered, and that bread is anything that speaks falsely about Jesus Christ, his character, his identity, his mission, his works. And if you eat that bread, Jesus says, you will die. But there is precious good news in this text. There is a second bread, a wholesome bread, a life-giving bread. And if we eat of that bread, we will never hunger again. And Jesus calls to us this morning. He says, listen to me. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. He says, pay attention to what you hear. He says, those that were sown on the good soil are those ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit. And so, friends, won't you hear this word? Won't you accept it? And won't you bear fruit? Because the bread is in the boat. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we indeed are in this wrestling match. And we pray, fill our mouths with the bread that we need. Feed us Christ Jesus, and we will speak. He is the Christ. He is the beloved Son of God. Give us no other portion. Give us no substitute. Give us no supplement. We want Christ. Oh, fill us now, we pray.